0: Let us pray. Holy God, by the mysterious work of your spirit, be at work between my mouth and the ears of those who listen, that your word, not my words, will be heard. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Her comment surprised me. She said something along the lines of, you better get used to me, you have me for all eternity. She said it not as a loving promise, nor as a threat of future retribution. Instead, she stated it as fact. The context was a book discussion in my living room a few years ago. The conversation was lively, peppered with banter and laughter and thoughtful reflection about the book at hand. I honestly can't remember what prompted the comment, but it stayed with me. It gave me pause. You better get used to me because you have me for all eternity. Her meaning was that the relationship we were forging would endure forever No matter how long our earthly lives intersected, as sisters in Christ, we were bound together for the rest of time. The clock marking eternal life would not start at some future point, at the point of earthly death. No, that clock in many respects was already ticking. As I've reflected on her comment, I appreciate it more and more in part because I like the woman who said it, but also because it reminds me that eternal life has begun. In recent weeks, we've heard a number of readings from First John. Matt read from the fifth and final chapter this morning. While we refer to it as a letter, it doesn't have the typical structure of a letter with no greeting or farewell, And so there are those who think of it more as an essay or a sermon rather than a letter. And it's a sermon or essay that is directed to the church. It is an internal document for those who are followers of Jesus. Its purpose is to challenge and correct the teaching of some within the church. Apparently, there were those who, were foc- who focused their teaching so much on the divinity of Jesus that they ignored, neglected, or downplayed the humanity of Jesus. Further, because the emphasis was on the divine nature of Jesus, the significance of his very human sacrificial death was denied. Dissident teaching of this sort may have been linked to or led to the Gnostic teaching of the second century, in which claims to perfectionism, denial of the significance of Jesus coming in the flesh, and the rejection of the saving power of Jesus' death were all hallmarks. You can hear how First John confronts these erroneous teachings. The author writes, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Then the author continues with, Those who say, I love God, but hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Throughout this letter, the author is encouraging those of us within the church to embody a genuine love for one another the way that Jesus embodied God's love for us. This message reminds me of an old, old cliché. It's as if the author of 1 John does not want us to be so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. 1 John, as a counter to those who are too heavenly-minded, brings us back to earth with the theme of loving one another here and now. So the author writes, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. Norm Wurzba, a professor at Duke Divinity School, teaches that the Christian life is about transformation not transportation, a concept he includes in his forthcoming book called The Sacred Life, Humanity's Place in a Wounded World. The issue is that sometimes we as Christians tend to think of our faith primarily as a means of getting into heaven. Faith is the ticket to our eternal reward, What happens is, in this current life, is of little consequence, especially when compared to eternal destiny. Therefore, Christianity is all about getting from here, earth, to there, heaven. The concern with this, Wurzba asserts, is the focus on transportation solves nothing if sinful ways are not healed first. Transformation allows our our lives to experience and share the love of God. Such transformation is not for individuals alone, but for communities and society and the world. The transportation model of Christianity can be attractive, because it gives us an escape from listening to unpleasant news, such as that that came out last weekend. All of the shootings across the U.S., nine mass shootings, 260 shootings all told, in one weekend. Or the news of the escalating conflict between Israel and Palestine. It is tempting to close ourselves off, from the dangers and disasters of this world, and to focus only on a better destination. But this is not what Scripture teaches. Our love for others is to be not in word or speech, but in truth and action. In order to love, we need to be transformed. Allowing God to transform us and our communities, that, that's hard. And it may make us wonder if life could turn out differently. I recently read the novel, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. The protagonist, a woman named Nora, is in despair as the book opens. After committing suicide, she discovers that she is not dead, but rather in an in between state that allows her to experiment with different life outcomes. In the midnight library, she is allowed to pick one book at a time off of the shelf from an infinite selection, all of which describe different life outcomes. What would have happened if she had pursued swimming? And if she had stayed in a particular relationship, would she be happily married? She learns that each choice throughout her life changes her life's trajectory. After trying on a variety of lives, she is quickly overwhelmed by the choices. If she could transform into any other life, how could she possibly know which one to choose? Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish priest in the 16th century who's known for teaching discernment. He starts with the assumption that God loves us and wants what is best for us, while also assuming that we love God and long to give our best to God. He is convinced that the Christian life is one of growth, of desire to hear and respond to God's voice. And ultimately, to become ever more Christ-like in our daily lives. We want to love and be loved, as First John encourages. And yet, we hear Mary Oliver's classic question, Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Sometimes, like the protagonist, Nora, we find ourselves unable to answer. Ignatius encouraged the faithful to notice the various motivations at work in our lives while reflecting on that which draws us closer to God and that which pulls us away from God. Slowly, with time and patience, He helps people discern how to be in tune with the movements that lead toward God. It could be described as a learned intuition, so that the focus is not on what we do, but who we are. The transformation following God's call then leads to faithful decisions and meaningful engagement with the world and its inhabitants. Ignatian spirituality seems to want to to bring the divine into the ordinariness and challenge of our daily lives, such that the love of God molds us to be loving people. Do you think this has all caused the pendulum to swing too far in the other direction? Has 1 John's admonition to love one another because love comes from God allowed us to ignore eternal consequences? I think not. As 1 John comes to a conclusion, the author claims that we see the testimony of God in Jesus through water, blood, and the Spirit— In his baptism and crucifixion, in the movement of the Holy Spirit, we see the testimony of God in his son, Jesus. Jesus, who is divine and human. And then we read, and this is the testimony, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son, And further, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. These words echo the Gospel of John. In John 20, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. In both First John and the Gospel of John, belief and life are intertwined. Also intertwined are the already and the not yet, life now, and life to come. One commentator writes, life and eternal life are virtual synonyms in John's gospel and in 1 John. In John 17, Jesus prays to God, and this and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life begins here and now for those who believe in Jesus Christ and know the only true God. As soon as we believe in Jesus, eternal life begins. As soon as we know ourselves as claimed and beloved by God, real life starts. According to the Gospel of John, in describing himself as the good shepherd, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In saying this, Jesus included no time qualifications, as if the abundance of God's grace and love is only for some future time. The good shepherd cares for his sheep now and forever. God's desire for us is to live in his presence now and always. According to 1 John, life today and life forever is marked by love. Our lives are first claimed by God through Jesus as precious and beloved, and then we are called and formed for the love of others. This is the long continuum of eternal life, which has already begun. This is good news for the impatient among us. We don't have to wait for heavenly life to start in some future time. It has already begun. Our call is to open our eyes to it. This is not as mysterious as it sounds. In 1 John we read, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. We see other people all the time. We see them in different colors and shapes and sizes and abilities and political persuasions and we are to love them. We see other people in our families and in our neighborhoods. There are those that are easy to like and those who try our patience. We are to love them. And we see people in church, some whose theologies are different than ours, whose taste in music is diverse, whose ways of worship are varied. We are to love them. These people we see all the time are the very ones we will see for all eternity. So we might as well start now loving them. And as we do, we might just find that promised abundant life now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.